this is the education show unlocking opportunities in teaching and learning through collaboration proudly brought to you by zabuza.net and once more it is the education show so good to have you along with us uh this particular episode proudly brought to you by ens africa and uh, two of my favorite people to chat to we have uh, natasha wahit and rory franco good morning guys Morning, Good morning, morning, David. I got to tell you, we record, we, we're doing this episode. It's on a Monday morning, and um, in my part of the world, it's a beautiful. I think we skipped spring and went straight to summer, so it's a beautiful summer's day. And uh, I was just saying earlier to Natasha, she always sounds so happy. So it's I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> but today we're talking about a fairly serious issue and i think it's an issue that uh, as as always that uh, we need to discuss a little bit more and understand a little bit more um and our, our topic for today is parental rights and responsibilities so let's start off rory what are the rights and responsibilities Okay, so in a nutshell, parental rights and responsibilities um, is almost an overarching principle with multiple elements that form it. So the elements are care, contact, guardianship, and maintenance. But parental rights and responsibilities in a nutshell means that it's the, it, it refers to the legal rights, duties, powers, and responsibilities parents have over a child. And these, these parental rights and responsibilities can be held in co almost in co-ownership with, with other individuals such as the mother and father, for example. Um, so just to to say that again, it's an overarching concept that has different pillars. And I think during this podcast, um, Natasha and I will unpack the different elements that make these co the concept of parental rights and responsibilities. Okay. Um, so, so if I understand you, Correctly, parental rights and responsibilities can be one or both parents, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be parents. Am I correct? Yes. So you can apply if um, enter into a parent um, a peer, um, parenting plan or parental rights and responsibilities, where the latter is the more appropriate one for this term for for this usage, where you can actually confer rights on another individual that actually has the best interest of the of the child at their heart. Okay. Now you've you've mentioned now there already. We've we've talked. About, well, you've mentioned care, contact, guardianship, and maintenance. So let's break that up um, into care and contact. Who's going to be talking to me about care and contact? That'll so be Rory. Yeah. So Good. I'll discuss care contact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get into that because what what is care and contact? I mean, the care part I think stands. You know, it, it's really obvious in my head. But let's see what you have to say. Okay, so so care, if I can just break it down like this. So care is basically just looking after the daily needs of a child or, and their well-being. Um, and contact actually refers to just maintaining a relationship with the child. So it's normally utilized in the, in the, in the way of if there's a parent that has custody over a child and the, the parent that doesn't have custody over the child once um, has the right to contact the child, especially if it's not in the, um, if they're not actually living with the child. Um, so if we go back, so care refers to custody, or previously it was known as custody, and until the Children's Act came into being and it became enforceable, and essentially it took this concept of custody and put it as part of the, the concept of care. 
So currently we're sitting with care and contact. And I think I'm just state of the game because it gets quite confusing these terminologies. Custody forms part of care. Care refers to the daily needs of a child. And contact refers to just the day-to-day seeing of the child or visiting the child on the weekend or maintaining a cell phone contact with the child. Hopefully that clarifies it, David. Which, is, which I think is very important, that, that, that contact aspect. Uh, you know, mm. um, I know a lot of times there's, there's uh, divorces and they get fairly messy and then the mother or the father, you know, uh, in the past have not been allowed any contact or whatever with the with the children. So I think, I think that now that we're talking about it, it is very, very um, important. Uh, yes. Natasha, we're going to move on then. Okay. Um, and this one could get quite, quite interesting. Uh, guardianship and maintenance. Now, are we talking about the kind of maintenance that I have in my head in that you have to, that's the amount of money you have to pay every month uh, for your kids to look after them? Yes, in a nutshell, but one hopes that it's so much more than that. Um, but I know that sounds rather cryptic, but I will unpack it. Um, if it's okay with you, David, I'm going to start with guardianship because we know that there's this term and it's bandied around and we never really know what it means. So essentially, let's just start that guardians do not necessarily either have care or contact with children. It's simply the right and responsibility that a person has over a child to administer and safeguard that child's property and that child's interests. So um, it's, it's a safeguard because we see that the child is not a major. They're under the age of 18. So we say, let's give them extra care and support, and the guardian can then do that. And if the child has to be, for example, in any sort of court situation um, in a civil way, then a guardian can represent them to make decisions for various administrative stuff. The guardian can assist them. They can also refuse consent or give consent for various things. So that's in a nutshell about what guardianship is. And the high court is known as the upper guardian of the child. So ultimately, if there's a dispute or something of the sort, the high court has the authority to give the final say. So that is what guardianship is. So you can see that just to um, sum it up, it's to assist the child. The guardian has the right to assist the child in legal, contractual, and administrative matters. And it's there just so that the best interest of the child is always of paramount importance. And I think when you look at these parental rights and responsibilities, care, contact, guardianship, maintenance, the overarching principle is contained in Section 28 of the Constitution. That being the best interest of the child is of the utmost importance. So that's guardianship. Um, I'll go on to maintenance now. So when you look at maintenance and you look at the overarching principle of the best interests of the child, David, you see that um, the parents have a duty to maintain the child, to look after their interests, to make sure that they are seen to and their needs are met. So what often happens, like you rightfully said, is the, the child will stay with one parent and the parent with whom the child does not stay has to usually pay a set amount, be it every week, every two weeks, or every month. And that is team maintenance. That can be decided by the parties, or you can actually go to court 
and go to a maintenance court and speak and talk to the maintenance officer and an amount can be agreed upon. I always say that it's better to get a court order and agreed upon amount in an official document because it's all fair all good and well when things go great and the maintenance is actually paid but if for whatever reason the maintenance stops being paid then at least you have a court order and you can do something about it um so that in a net is maintenance i don't know if you have specific questions you want to ask me with regards to these two so that i can answer more pointedly Um no I just just so I'm clear as David? well so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> have you got me am I, am I back again? Yeah, you're back again. I was there's silence. Did I lose him? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um the yeah, just just getting back to that uh, just so I'm clear yeah. in my head. Um guardianship in doesn't necessarily have to be a family member. It can be um but it can be um somebody that the court appoints or something like that am i correct in that understanding yes natasha now in terms of of, of the guardian thing i think we missed out a bit there from you um so um as i said is is it just parents or um can it be aunts okay. or uncles or can the court in fact appoint a guardian So David it can be anyone who has care contact with the child sufficient interest in the child's um, well-being or development it can be somebody that's appointed by the court um and as the high court being the upper guardian of the child a family advocate can even be appointed an organ of state can be appointed because it's there to assist the child in legal contractual and administrative matters so to answer your question in natural it doesn't just have to be the person who has care or contact with the child aha uh-huh. okay now yeah. in, terms, in terms of this maintenance thing this is yes this is like one of those very prickly subjects because um you know it's all good and well if you if you are you know involved in a divorce and it, it doesn't matter whether you're the mom or the dad in in that instance but um the children or the child then stays with the one parent generally the other parent is obliged to pay maintenance it's all good and well until they decide they're not going to now you you mentioned that you can go to maintenance court um yes. but but how do we enforce maintenance because i know people who've gone well you know what i'm just not going to pay and they they can come and get me if they want to but i don't have a job or i don't have a job that i'm going to declare so what happens is it's essentially a, an inquiry and let's just take a step back so you're you're applying right you go to the court your nearest magistrate's court and you bring all your proof of the needs of the child as well as the expenses and what you contribute the other party then has the same um duty and to answer your question about people that say that they're not going to declare what they do for a living for example there are individuals called maintenance investigators and if you're not happy with what is being declared you can actually ask the court to say can you please do a maintenance investigation so that we can have as clear a picture as possible of the earnings of that other party so once that is all clarified and now you have your court order right and somebody excess to pay whatever amount towards the minor child or minor children if they decide not to pay you can go to the arrear clerk or the arrear section of the maintenance court and say you know what this person hasn't paid and years 
proof that they haven't paid, then the ARIA proceedings kick in. They can get um, arrested. They can also have property attached. So there are consequences for that. And if, for example, you just say you're unemployed, you'd have to prove that you actually are looking for work. So, for example, when I was a maintenance officer, I used to insist that people actually have what we call job forms and show me that they've looked for work. And I would postpone the matters quite close to it to ensure that um, it's not a long time between court appearances. So people actually have to um, have to be on it and look for a job because I'd remind the parties that it's not about the two parties not liking one another, for example. It's about the best interests of the child. Yeah, much clearer. Okay, cool. Now, the And then just to come in there, David, if that's okay. Yes. Yeah, oh, you want to ask me? Yeah? No, no, carry on, please. I wanted to come in there because um, I always want to say that it's very important because there are various ways in which you can pay maintenance. One of them is cash in hand. The other is in a bank account and the others at the court, for example. And then there's the one where a gondola can be taken out that it gets deducted directly from your salary. Now, the one that I dislike the most is the cash in hand. Um, and the reason for that is that it's all wonderful when people are actually paying. When they don't pay, you oftentimes don't have proof of it. If you, for, for example, choose the cash in hand, please have a book with you. So every time the person pays you, you give them a receipt so there's proof. I just wanted to make sure that whoever is in the situation of maintenance being paid um, that you always have proof because that's how the court makes a finding. So I just wanted to add that in before I forgot. Thanks, David. Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Very, very important. So uh, receipt book. Yeah, it's something, you know, like having never been through this, um, I, I, you know, it makes sense now when you say the receipt book because otherwise you end up with a he said, she said sort of situation. Okay, yeah. good stuff. Let's move on now. Um, the difference between care and custody. Rory, this seems to be your department, so I'm going to pass this one to you. Okay, David. So basically, the, the big difference is just um, that older people, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting to that category now, um, older people normally refer to um, care as custody, whereas the new individuals refer um, to custody as care. So just so I can break it down, custody was a common law principle, um, which has been replaced by care, which is a, um, under the, neath the New Children's Act. So essentially what the law actually did was it took this concept of custody and put it as a component of care. So custody was older and care came in. So now we refer to um, custody as care. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> okay. Sorry, the, I, promise you, I, was, I was distracted there by for a second because I'm one of those old people. Um, and I always <laughs> thought you get sole custody, you get joint custody, yes. or you don't get it. Um, yeah. Okay, so so basically care has been has been put in there. So um, is it does it now sort of read that um, a parent would then have the care of the child? Yes. So in divorce, when you're prepping the divorce documentation or your divorce uh, um, application, it will simply refer to the primary care of the child. And that would be what we previously have said called the custodian parent. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, yeah. we talk about, and, and again, this one in the old days for us olden day people used to be called visitation rights, I believe. 
Um, now yes. it's called contacts. And so talk to me about these different forms of contact. Yeah, so there's quite a few forms of contact that can um, the court can order or you can agree to. Um, and I think the most important ones, we can talk about defined contact. So essentially what it just states is that there's certain parameters or specific times where you can see your child or or the children. So you'll, it will state when you can see the child, where, how, um, how you can see the child. So the, this is under the concept of defined contact. You then get supervised contact, which is quite an important one, which basically states that a party must be present when you visit the child. Um, so that party can be any third party, such as a social worker. It can be the actual custodian parent. It could be a family friend of the parent. And this form of contact is utilized in the instances where the child is very young and the parent is unfamiliar with the child's routine. There's a history of violence and abuse of the parent. Um, the parent might be addicted to certain substances or the parent might, be, uh, might have been absent and trying to reestablish a connection with the child. Um, I think it's very important to note that this form of supervised contact can ultimately change to unsupervised contact. And it's obviously dependent on um, what the, the case is of why they use supervised contact. So, for instance, if there was an, an addiction to, to drugs or alcohol and the like, that once you, if the person proves that they're no more addicted to it or has undergone counseling, for instance, then they could... Um, the, the, the concept of unsupervised contact can change to, um, oh, supervised contact can change to unsupervised contact, sorry. Um, and you can have export, export reports, the child can be of a certain age. Um, so it's all based based on a different um, fact pattern of supervised contact versus unsupervised contact. Um, another form of contact is indirect contact, and it's quite important, especially if the, the primary carer or the custodian parent lives in South Africa, for instance, or in a particular province or in a particular area that's far from the non-custodian parent. Um, and the indirect contact basically states that the person must maintain a relationship with the child, and they can do this through telephone calls, emails, and letters, for example. So there's various forms of contact that one can have with a child, especially if they don't have um, care or primary care of the child or custodianship of, of the child. As you were talking about this, I was just thinking about uh, some, some friends of mine. They've got uh, two kids, and unfortunately, they, they fell into the substance abuse side of things, yeah. and yeah. Uh, they ended up having to go to rehab and... Uh, the children went to go and stay with the with the grandmother, and there was a mm. whole process that they had to go through once they'd come out of rehab, and it and it was all about this this contact. And initially, it was only phone contact. Then it was supervised contact for only a certain period of time, um, and they had the child welfare involved and all sorts yeah. of things. And eventually, they got to to now where where you know they they've sorted themselves out and everything, and the kids have now been return to that but it, it is a process and you know yes. i think that the contact part of it is 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 vitally important you know um yeah. and and i think we've already said we can how we can change between the supervised and unsupervised contact now yes. natasha earlier on we we touched briefly on on guardianship um yeah. so what is what let's just dive in a bit more to that what exactly is it and and who can have guardianship i mean if if i'm a best friend to somebody and you know is it different from the old days again of, of being the godfather or the godmother to the child so the god guardianship 
essentially it's a legal process, right? So there would have you'd have to be formally, <clears throat> pardon my throat, formally appointed as a guardian. Um, so it's not axiomatic that you're the godparent, you become the guardian. You'd have to be appointed. And criteria that would be used to show that you have an interest in the child, are you best suited, like I said previously? So to answer your question, you could be as the godparent appointed as the guardian, but it's not axiomatic. Um, as in most things with the law, it depends on the facts of the matter <laughs> i sound like such a lawyer but that in <laughs> essence is what it is <laughs> okay so, so essentially i mean who, who who then could have guardianship is it is it just based on that process of um the court will decide again and and this is the underpinning uh, idea here yeah. on, on what the best interests in the child are so it, it may not be a family member as we said it could be the court Yes, it could be the court. It could be an organ of the court, for example. Um, like it, it, Rory mentioned when the family advocate or when he was talking about it and you do, the family advocate might actually come up tops and say, you know, they have the best interest of the child. They're appointed as guardian. Um, but you, as with most things, the court will listen to all the facts and then look at the situation in its totality and make a decision. Um, but it's going to be guided by who is best placed to assist the child. You know this yeah. this this whole subject. I mean, I can I can kind of get I can understand divorce, okay? But this whole thing about uh, children and looking after children, and you know, then either one or both parents decide they're just not into it anymore. I, it just it does boggle my mind, and I know it's a huge thing in this country, and uh, particularly after. Um, last year, with all the lockdown and everything, it's become even yeah. more of a of a problem. Now, in terms of 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 maintenance, because generally, when you say maintenance and somebody's paying maintenance, uh, to me, the first thing I go is, ah, uh, yeah, the person who has to pay maintenance. It's got to be the dad, because generally, it's the dads who mess things up. Is that is that correct? I mean, who can pay maintenance? Who should be made to pay maintenance? Okay, so it's it's not like just the dad. Unfortunately, a lot of the times it the default is that it's usually the dad, but that's because the, the, the child usually resides with the mom. But it's who duty of care and support towards that child. So it's both parents. And if unfortunately it's found that both that either of the parents can't afford to pay maintenance with a very good reason, the court could actually look at the grandparents. So yeah, and that's been a bit contentious. All righty. Yeah. Today today's episode is definitely a challenge. I mean <laughs> Yeah. The last time we tried to do this, we kept losing Rory, and this time Natasha had slaughtered. But anyway, um, <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see what we can do and what I can what I can make work after this. Yeah. Um, so, so we've talked about um, who can be made to pay maintenance. I think we've covered um, basically yeah. how maintenance payments are made. Um, yeah. If you want to, if you've now, you know, you've you've had your divorce and. Um, one of the contradictions in terms that I found from personal experience, it's been an amicable divorce. Um, how do you then apply for, for, for maintenance? Can you just go, do you just wander into the court and say, listen, I need, I need help with my kids. Well, how does that work? So 
what you do is you take all the documents that have to do with the children. Um, so their birth certificates and so forth. Then you take the details that you have of your spouse. Um, so the ID document and so forth. You then take proof of expenses. So what I encourage clients to do is to keep a record of it and to actually like highlight what they've spent um, on the particular, on the children for a particular month. And and you bring proof of your income. The court will then um, look at that and, and there'll be a bundle. The other party would then be um, sent the application and be subpoenaed to come to court and they'd have to do the same process. And then what, what in essence is going to happen is that you're both going to sit before a maintenance officer and and the, the maintenance officer is going to look through all the documents and be guided by the best interests of the child so that ultimately a decision is made and a court order um, is, is, is uh, the order is made in order of court. How that's, it's always best first prized if the parties agree. If the parties don't agree, can actually go to, uh, go to trial and then um, the court will then make the final decision. All right. Okay. So now... Let's say this is all being done and it's all good and well. And as with so many things, for the first little while, it goes really well. And then it stops. Can you enforce this maintenance order? So you you um, go to the court with your court order and prove it is that the rear maintenance process will be instituted. Uh, some of the assets could be attached. The court makes a finding as to the rear maintenance that hasn't been paid. And that's then attached uh, or included in the new payment. So, for example, you have to pay 500 rand a week, right? And then it would be 500 rand maintenance plus 200 rand towards the arrears until that is settled. So definitely you can enforce it. Okie dokie. Well, I think on that note, it brings us uh, to the to the end of this particular discussion. Um, as always, uh, ENS Africa, you guys are on the Zabuza platform. Um, if anybody's got any questions, anybody needs to know anything, they can contact you via the platform. Um, yes, or um, can I share my email address? It's nwahit. Okay, nwahit, so n for Nelly, and then w a g. I-E-T at ensafrica.com. So if you want to pop me a mail with regards to a question that you might have on this topic, Rory and I will then discuss it and we'll see if we can um, assist you with guidance and advice. So definitely like pop us a mail if, that, if, if you have a question that you want to ask. Wonderful stuff. Wraps it up for this edition of the Education Show. As always, uh, Rory, Natasha, thank you so much. Uh, it was great chatting to you guys and uh, enjoy your week ahead. Thank, Thank you, you and you, David. Enjoy the sunshine. <laughs> oh, I'm going to. There we go. As I said, wraps it up. Those were my special guests. Don't forget, you can get hold of Natasha if you've got any other questions for her. That's nwahit at ensafrica.com. Uh, until next time, look after yourselves. Take care and thank you for listening. That was the education show. Simply learn. Join the conversation on zibuza.net. That's Z-I-B-U-Z-A.net.